Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon and I am here with an author interview and some discussion of this week's new releases. The interview that I'm sharing with you is one that I did not too long ago with author Freya Sampson and we are discussing her novel, The Last Chance Library. If you listened to our episode where we talked about books set in libraries, you may remember that Amber um, used this book as one of her recommendations. So if you were intrigued by it and wanted to know a little bit more about the author and what inspired her to write this book, you can find that information here today. So I'm going to move into the housekeeping information then we will go right into the interview, and then I will talk to you about today's great new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. It's Shannon once again, and I am here today with author Freya Sampson, who's going to talk with us about her novel, The Last Chance Library, which is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on August 31st, and we are recording a couple of weeks before that date. But Freya, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me, Shannon. It's lovely to be talking to you. Can we start out with you giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to The Last Chance Library? Of course. Um, So The Last Chance Library is about a shy young woman called June who lives in a fictional English village called Talcott. Um, And June's mother passed away eight years ago and she has never really recovered from um, that death. She has... Gina's just um, sort of retreated into books and stories. She works in her local library, a job she loves, and then she comes home at the end of the day and she eats Chinese takeout and she rereads her favourite books and that's her life and she's very happy with it, uh, you know, quiet, small life. And then one day the council announced they uh, want to close six libraries and Charcot Library is one of them. And June's whole world is turned upside down because... The library isn't just the place she works, it's also the place where her mother worked. So for June, in losing the library, uh, it's like, would be like losing her mother all over again. Um, and a group of wonderful but very eccentric library patrons form a campaign group to fight, from the, fight, fight for the library. Uh, but June is uh, banned by her employers from taking part in any 
action against library closures. So the story is really about June um, learning to kind of come out from hiding in books and uh, with the help of the village community fighting to save the library. So my life would be amazing, minus the Chinese takeout, um, <laughs> if I could work in a library and then come home and hang out with my books. That is like my sort of ideal existence. <laughs> so June is definitely um, a character that I can relate to for that. So I loved that this is a book that sort of sings the praises of libraries and touts them as not just, you know, repositories for books, not just a place that June works, but also like a, a center for so many people and a way that people can find connection and can find the things that are valuable to them. Um, did you grow up with kind of a, a deep relationship with libraries? I did, yes. So I think, um, like lots of bookish people, um, the library was a really big part of my life from childhood. I, I have very strong memories of going to the library as a child with my parents, the excitement of taking out six books on my card. Uh, yes. so I've, always, uh, I've always loved libraries, but I think for a long time, my relationship with libraries was kind of quite a sort of straightforward one. I would go, I would browse, I'd pick some books take them out and leave and that was sort of really it um, and it wasn't until much more recently about seven years ago that I kind of changed the way I saw libraries um, when my daughter was born um, I, uh, I found the early months of motherhood quite hard I felt quite I mean I live in a big city in London but I felt quite isolated um, I was quite nervous of leaving the house um, my daughter cried a lot bless her when, when I fed her so it was quite sort of the idea of going to a cafe and her crying and disturbing customers was quite stressful so I got a bit housebound and um, when I finally said to myself you know you've got to go out on your own with the baby Freya you can't stay at home all the time the first place I went was my local library and uh, there was a nursery rhyme session on and I took my daughter in and we sat in the room surrounded by other parents and toddlers and I just felt very safe very welcomed uh, nobody batted an eyelid when my daughter squawked um, <laughs> and from then on I you know I started going to nursery rhyme sessions and to the library really frequently and I started going to other libraries and it really um, it was a real lifeline for me in those early months and it also just changed the way I saw libraries you know I realized that Yes, they're about books, but um, they are also about so much more. And I began to see the different kinds of people who came into the library like me because they they needed something other than just books from it. So I think, you know, since then I have seen libraries quite differently. And, and that's one of the things I've tried to explore in the book. So when you decided that this was the story that you wanted to tell, did you sort of rely on your own sort of experiences and how your relationship with the library changed? Um, or did you kind of dig deeper and kind of figure out, you know, for other people, like did you talk with other people about the roles that libraries played for them or just kind of how did you, how did you develop your story idea? 
Um, so I did talk to quite a lot of other people. I talked to librarians, obviously. Ah, yes. Um, I talk, who are always amazing to answer any questions. Um, I talked to library campaigners. Uh, so in, in the UK here, we've had a real problem in the last 10 years of library closures. Um, something like 800 libraries have been closed due to funding cuts. So it's been a real Aww. problem. So I talked to library campaigners who had kind of fought for libraries and library volunteers who work in libraries and other library users as well. So I did, you know, quite a bit of research. And um, I mean, the book is completely a work of fiction from my head. It's not factual in any way. But I did <laughs> want to really kind of explore the different people uh, involved, you know, and, and different people's takes on libraries and fighting for them. Well, I think some of the best things about fiction are the fact that you can take a story that, as you say, is completely fictional. You know, there's not, it's not based on any particular fact, but you can explore ideas and concepts that are factual, even if your story, you know, technically is not. Absolutely. And my background is in TV. I'm a, a executive producer and I've always worked in factual in documentaries and factual programs where you are very very bound to the truth you know you film lots but you have to show what happens and you have to stay truthful to exactly you know the events and what people said and so it's been quite liberating as a writer I've sort of done all the research I would have done for a tv program but then you can say okay <laughs> and now I'm going to take those truths and um, totally make them my own and I don't have to you know I don't have to stick to anybody's one version of events. I can make it my own. And that was, it's been really nice and refreshing for me. Yes, I suppose that fiction um, does not have much of a place in like documentary uh, production. I mean, it does uh, in terms of, you know, you, you choose a story to tell with the footage you have, but uh, you are definitely, you don't have the same um, license, but, you know, to... Uh, oh, you know, this is a bit boring. I'm going to make this much more interesting. You can't no, really do that can't in the same really way. say like, oh, I don't like how this happened. So I think yeah. I'll just... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I'll just change it and make it a little better. Yeah. <laughs> so what sort of prompted you to write a book when your background um, has been so kind of firmly set in TV and, and production? Um, so, I mean, I've, um, I've always dreamt of writing a book. I've always told stories I've always loved um, reading and I always dreamt of writing but I think for a long time I just had really bad imposter syndrome um, I would try and write something and uh, I would get like 10,000 words in and then I would read it back and I would just think oh this is you know this is awful and I would compare it to the books I was reading and loved and think oh no one's ever going to want to read this so the the idea of wanting to do it's always been there but I've never I never pursued it and I focused instead on on television and then when I was on maternity leave with my second child, I was just feeling really, really daunted by the idea of going straight back into TV. It's a very intense job. And I thought, you know what, this is my chance. Like, this is my, if I don't give writing a go now, I never will. You know, I'll go back into telly and I'll have two kids and there just won't be time. So I did a, signed up to a writing course run by the Faber Academy. And I did a six month course. And that was just really transformational in terms of, my confidence and helping you know it sounds simple but helping realize that those first 10,000 words it doesn't matter if they're terrible you know that's just part of the process you don't compare it to a finished book you you just push on so um uh doing that course really um made me just I loved it and I realized that this was what I wanted to do um and I, I managed to finish a book 
I'm always very, very fascinated by people's journeys to writing. You know, you have people who have written like all of their lives, whether they're just like jotting down quick little stories or writing poetry. And then we have people who come to writing, you know, maybe as something like you that they've wanted to do, but just never have. And I think it's just so, so interesting the ways in which life can either pull us toward or push us away from the things that we most want to do. Absolutely. I mean, I, was a, I have a drawer full of first three chapters of different ideas, but I just, um, yeah, I think uh, I, I never, I just, confidence was such a problem for me. And I think, I also think I just wasn't ready to write a book in my 20s. I didn't have enough life experience. I think I just didn't feel I had enough to say. And it really, for me, it was finding that right story. You know, I, I, I when I had the idea for the book sit in the library, I immediately, I knew the characters, I knew the story, I knew the world. And I think I probably, if that, if that idea had come to me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have known what to do with it. But I think, you know, I was in my 30s. I felt ready to tackle this story um, in a way that I hadn't felt ready before. We are talking about doing um, an episode here on Book Bistro featuring books that are set in libraries or have like librarians as a main character. I think there's just such a wealth of, of story to be found in a place like this where people come together. Sometimes, you know, people come together in sort of a solitary way. You know, you come to a library and maybe you're just like hanging out reading, but you're still seeking that connection. Um, And I just, I I love the role that libraries play in the lives of so many people. As someone who grew up with a disability, um, I don't read printed books. So libraries, have been a bit tricky for me. Like some of them have very, very good collections of audiobooks, for example, Mm -hmm. and some don't. Mm -hmm. So I, I always had a bit of like ambivalence when it came to libraries. I never quite knew, you know, do I love them or do I sort of dislike, you know, the lack of access um, here in the United States, and I don't know if you have something similar um, where you are, but we have a like a subsidiary of the Library of Congress that works with people with disabilities and produces books in specialized formats, which are then um, in the early days mailed to patrons and are now like digitally available through through download. And that has been a game changer just in the access that I've had to to libraries. So I think there's, sometimes it's hard to find your place in a library, but once once you do, I think they they are just remarkable resources. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I mean, obviously I come from a privileged position of, I've always felt that the library was a a useful space for me, but I think it's very true that um, however hard libraries try, they've not always been perfect. Um, uh, And I think it's been, you know, one of the, I mean, I, I, it's hard to find positives of the last 18 months, but certainly here in the UK, I think libraries, because they had to physically shut their doors for a while, they really had to step up their game in terms of digital access and, and with ebooks. So I definitely feel like my li- local library's service availability of ebooks that you can, you know, now I can borrow on an app 
I yes massively that just didn't really exist in the same way uh two years ago so you know I think that I, I, it is getting better but but it's not perfect right no and I think a lot of it you know has to do with with funding and obviously it's going to be you know more expensive to get for example a digital audiobook than it is to get you know a, a book in print mm. and so I think some of that is like to, like a practical consideration that says you know hey we can't like we could buy, you know, five copies of this print book for the price of this one, you know, audio. Yeah. And so I think it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard line and a hard place to find a balance. But I think as accessibility changes and as more people who, who can read print also listen to digital books or, you know, download digital eBooks, I think that sort of helps the accessibility grow because people see that there is a market for these things outside of just the disability space. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know the figures, but I think ebook, uh, an audiobook um, purchases and, and listening must have grown hugely over the last couple of years. I mean, I'd never listened to an audiobook three years ago. And now, I, you know, I, it's absolutely a key part of my consumption of literature. I really ah, yes. love I really love audiobooks and I think it's a very different experience to reading it on the page in a very sort of satisfying way. I think a good audiobook can actually be a much better than reading a book on the page, you know, if it's done well. Um, so I think, you know, that is definitely, I'm sure there are lots of people like me who are really late to audiobooks but love them now. I think that's true. I think people have discovered, you know, through this past year and a half of, of COVID life, um, have discovered audio in a way that they never have. You know, for a lot of us, audiobooks have been sort of the thing. Yeah. And we we think about, you know, oh, like why aren't more books available in audio? And so the more that other people also say, you know, hey, this is a good thing. Like this works just not just because of accessibility, but because of just like pleasure. Um, it becomes a bigger, stronger market. So will The Last Chance Library be available in audio? It is, yes. Um, ah. uh, I'm very pleased to say uh, there's a wonderful British actress who has read the book. Uh, so, yeah, it will be available, um, I hope, on, on publication day on the 31st of August. You'll be able to get audio. Excellent. Usually they do, um, you know, drop on the same day. Yeah. Um, but I know sometimes there are little glitches that occur where maybe, you know, the audio will come a bit later. Um, but I am really, really glad to hear that this will be available as an audiobook and that you have um, a narrator that you, you really like. Yes, it was, it was really fun picking the narrator. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, I haven't heard it yet. And actually, I'm not sure if I'll listen to it because... I love audiobooks, as I said, but I think listening to your own book is probably a very different experience. So um, I, I'm not sure I'll ever listen to it, but I, I hope others will enjoy it and let me know what they think. You know, I've often wondered that. Like, I know that authors, you know, will often like get the finished copy of their books and keep, you know, keep it around. But I don't know that they sit there and actually like read it and say, oh, <laughs> what a great book I wrote <laughs> so I'm not sure you know how many people actually listen to their finished audios um you know completely or do you just kind of like 
skim through it to see, you know, how, how the narrator like brought your words to life that I've always kind of wondered what people would choose when it comes to that. Well, I can't speak for anyone else, but certainly for me, I think um, the idea of, especially dialogue, I think dialogue's a really hard thing to write. Uh, and it's very different on the page to spoken dialogue. You know, you see right. that with, with a script, right? You know, you read a script of a TV show. It's very different on the page to when you hear it. Um, and so I'm I'm too anxious about listening to the, my dialogue and hating it. So I'm about, certainly for me, I will not be. You know, I'm, I'll drop in to listen to a tiny bit just to hear it, but yes. uh, I shan't listen to the whole thing. So we are recording about two weeks before your scheduled release day. So I'm wondering, you know, once the Last Chance Library is out in the world, what is next for you? So I'm um, working on book two. Um, I have written uh, a draft and it's my editors have seen it and given me great feedback. So I'm kind of currently editing book two, which will be published, I think, uh, summer 2022. That's the plan. Um, and it's called uh, The Lost Ticket. And it is about a group of strangers on a London bus who unite to help an elderly gentleman find his missed love connection. So it's sort of similar, slightly similar, I suppose, themes of community and kindness and sort of strangers coming together in the way they do in the Last Chance Library. But this time it's uh, set in London and based around a London bus. It's been a lot of fun to write. That's awesome. I, I'm really excited to see um, how that comes together Thank next you. year. So will you be returning to TV or are you um, planning to stay mostly in like a writing space now? Um, if any of my TV employers are listening, yes, I'll definitely be back in telly. Um, <laughs> but between you and me, um, I would really love to continue writing. I love it. Uh, it. it fulfills me in a way I mean I, I really enjoyed television I had a very exciting fun career um but I think now I just writing I find writing just really really satisfying I love it and I love that as a job it allows me to be around for my kids in a way that tv just didn't so I hope that uh the last chance library doesn't you know well enough that uh my publishers would like more books from me so you know that's the dream is to keep writing that would be awesome. And I'm guessing, you know, that with having like having young children, um, you would be able to kind of fit your, your schedule around them and, you know, do and still be able to write in a way that you couldn't necessarily, as you say, like go to a studio and work in television and still have that same availability. Absolutely. I mean, I think I'm, I'm quite sort of structured in the way I approach writing. I treat it as a job. So you know, I drop my kids at school and, in pre-pandemic times, I would go to the library and I would write for six hours and then I'd pick my kids up. That's sort of how I've worked. Um, obviously, it's been a lot more challenging uh, recently. But uh, yeah, TV was just very long hours travel. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't get home for bath time. Uh, so I'm very, very lucky that with writing, I do have that, you know, much more flexibility. How did the pandemic um, affect your your writing and kind of ability to focus and get done what you needed to get done? I mean, hugely. Um, 
I mean, for one, libraries closed. So and I've always written in libraries and cafes. That's I, I like being, uh, you know, in other spaces. So straight away, I, I had to start writing at home, which I'd actually never really done. And then obviously my husband was at home. My children were at home. And as you say, like the, the probably the biggest challenge was just the mental one, you know, trying to mm-hmm. be creative when you're living in a state of anxiety is hard. Um, but actually, at the same time, I felt very lucky that um, that writing also gave me an escape that I could go into my fictional world where the pandemic didn't exist. And for the few hours that I could kind of squeeze in here and there of writing each day, I lived in a world that didn't have the shadow of, of a pandemic. So it was it was a real blessing. But it was hard. And, um, you know, uh, the writing of book two was considerably harder than the writing of book one. You know, just I think because of the world we were living in. How do you see COVID-19 like making its way into fiction? Do you think that people will kind of continue to write in a world where COVID doesn't exist? Or do you think we'll start to see it like seeping through into people's fiction? Truthfully, I really hope that fiction continues without it. You know, I read to escape. I, I, you know, I, books for me, uh, I want to be taken out of my life into someone else's. And um, certainly at the moment, I'm not sure I'm ready to read books that remind me of where we're at now. That Mm -hmm. said, I think there's most definitely a point in the future in which um, I will be really interested to read takes on the world we live in now. And I'm sure there are writers who are who are writing it now. I mean, I'm sure there are. I think I've been lucky with my books that they're um, they're not set in a specific moment. They're not tied to current events. I guess if you're writing a book that is really tied to, to 2021, 20, you know, 2020, then you can't avoid it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you when I watch TV programs, if they're if this if the pandemic is suddenly mentioned in the program or come I, it's kind of jars for me I'm, I'm you know I understand why they do it but I'm, I'm like oh no it's my Wednesday <laughs> evening the kids are in bed I want to escape I don't want to be reminded um, but then perhaps that's just you know me putting my head in the sand I'm sure others feel differently I haven't read a ton of books that deal with COVID yet I think you know we're not quite far enough out from it But there is um, an American novelist named Karen Slaughter who writes a lot of um, police procedurals and and other types of thrillers. And in her 2021 release, she actually wrote the first book that I had read that actually managed to sort of weave COVID into into her narrative. Um, And not in a way that like the story was about COVID because it certainly was not, but we saw it affecting sort of the lives of, of her characters um, in a way that, you know, I suppose it would if, if her characters were real people sort of living their lives, you know, in like the current minute here. And, and did you enjoy it? Was, did that work for you? It did. It did. I wasn't sure at first. And I think, you know, it has to be, it, it has to be done right. Just like with anything, you know, you, um, I think she managed to strike a really nice balance of like, okay, I don't want to pretend that this doesn't exist, but I also don't want to write a quote unquote, like COVID book. Yeah. Um, So she talked about, you know, things being closed down because of COVID, or she mentioned, you know, that in the U S our legal system struggled quite a bit to figure out like, how do you have trials 
you know, how do you have people testifying in court and still staying, staying safe? And so she took some of those things and just sort of wove them into her story. So you definitely felt that she was, you know, telling a story set in the present day, but you weren't necessarily reading it and going like, oh my goodness, you know, this is just like about COVID and nothing but COVID. That's really interesting. And I take my hat off to her for doing it clearly in a, in a really successful way. And that's brilliant. Yeah, it, it worked really well. You know, I wasn't sure at first because in so many of the books that I've been reading, you know, up until now, they were mostly written by the time, you know, COVID hit. And so a lot of the books that were coming out, you know, in 2020 and in early 2021 were maybe just being edited during the pandemic. Um, so I will be interested to see now as we you know, travel further and further from sort of the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, how authors choose to, to handle that. And will that depend on, on genre or you know, just how will people decide what they want to do about COVID? Yeah, I think 2022 will be interesting, won't it? I mean, that's it, when it will come through. <laughs> yes, I think we'll you know, start to see more people having to sort of wrestle with with those choices and like do you choose to write in sort of a non-specific time so that you don't have to really make a choice about COVID like if you write it could be you know 2020 but it could also be like 2010 or 2015 um you know does that then make it easier to not have to to address it not have to make like that clear and obvious choice like which you know which way are you going to go with it yeah well that's certainly the uh the way I've gone but yeah it'll be really interesting to see it will so it is now time for me to ask you my very favorite question and that is what have you read recently that you think the world should know about oh interesting so um I've read lots of good things recently, actually. I've just read oh, a good. really um, a really fantastic thriller called uh, My Sweet Girl by a writer called Amanda Jayatisa. Um, uh, I'm not a huge thriller reader, actually, but this one was brilliant. It's set between um, an orphanage in Sri Lanka uh, 20 odd years ago and present day San Francisco. And uh, it's got a brilliantly uh, sort of dark, not always totally likable or trustworthy protagonist, but very engaging um, and some really excellent twists. So you um, are the second person to mention this to me. Really? Um, Yes. So I will definitely be keeping an eye out for it. I know I see it on the um, like on the release schedule for September. Um, here in the US so I will definitely keep an eye out for that one and then another book that's not a new release but I um, adore and could sing the praises about forever is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell I don't know if you've read that I have I own it Um, I have not read it yet I, I keep looking at it like in my my audible library I'm like oh you know I really need to to read this at some point and then I'm like oh but look like this came out so. it's really good and it's a book that you know it's it's a book that's uh, you don't have to read it now it's not kind of a pressing book current affairs book um right but it's absolutely beautiful it's the story um so Shakespeare had a uh, son called Hamlet 
who very little is known about, apart from the fact that he died as a child of suspected plague. And uh, Maggie O'Farrell, who is just a very, she's a phenomenally talented, beautiful writer, has um, reimagined the last few days of his life and the sort of impact of his life on both his father, William Shakespeare, but kind of more importantly on his mother, who again, very little is known about. Um, and it is beautiful and lyrical and um, just a really stunning read uh, about sort of loss and love. Um, so I really recommend that. I have a strange fascination with books about the plague. I'm not sure what that says about me, <laughs> but plague books for some reason make me really, really happy. Like Year of Wonders um, by Geraldine Brooke, which I think came out probably 10, maybe 15 years ago now, um, was one that I just like sped through um, when I first found out about it. So I, I don't know what my thing is with the plague, but <laughs> well, I, in I which case, really I, like think, <laughs> I think you will love this book. It's, it's very well done. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me and to let listeners know a little bit about you and your book. Um, before I let you go, can you let people know the best way to find you online? Sure. So I am on Instagram and on Facebook as Freya Sampson Author. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter um, at Sampson F. Uh, so those are the best places to find me or I have a website freyasampson.com awesome and so again this is the last chance library and it releases on August 31st all right so today is not the biggest release day in terms of quantity but there's so much good stuff. Like the stuff that I am talking about is all stuff that is super high on my want to read list. So as always, the first several books I'm going to mention are books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated books of October episode. So Kristen has two books that she's looking forward to this week. The first one is The Lighthouse Witches by C.J. Cook. This is a gothic thriller. And then we have something a little bit lighter. Um, this is a paranormal romance. This is Payback's a Witch, Witches of Thistle Grove, book one by Lana Harper. Sarah is very excited about the new Kelly Armstrong novel. This is A Twist of Fate, A Stitch in Time, book two. And Stacy is looking forward to the latest Sonia Lolly book, which um, I'm not going to sing to you the way she did, but it's a holly jolly duwally. So if you're looking for something that will get you in a little bit of a holiday mood, you might want to check that one out. I am super excited for the new Lisa Unger novel, Last Girl Ghosted, and Brooke is very excited about the new Carrie Maniscalco, which is Kingdom of the Cursed, Kingdom of the Wicked, book two. So those are all books that you heard us mention before. So now let's talk about books that you haven't heard us talk about yet. So my personal favorite author is coming out with a new book today and this is Harvest Web. This is Moonshadow Bay book four by the incomparable Yasmin Galinorn. This is her paranormal women's fiction 
series about a witch named January Jackson who has returned home to her small town and is not only like rediscovering herself and her relationship with the magical world, but finding love and reconnecting with friends. It's just such a lovely, warm-hearted, thrilling series. And this installment definitely has that kind of spooky, atmospheric, autumn feeling. So once again, that is Harvest Web, Moonshadow Bay, book four, by Yasmin Gallinorn. We then have The Alpha, Black Arrowhead, book two, by Danica Dark. And Dark is another author that I really like. In fact, I'm reading one of her books right now. I'm an older one that I had not gotten to yet. But this is the sequel to last year's Black Arrowhood book entitled The Vow. And this is Ivy's story. So if you're familiar with Dark's writing, you will know that you met Ivy in the Seven series. And now she finally gets her own book in The Alpha, Black Arrowhead, book two. And again, that's by Danica Dark. If you love fantasy, it is a hard thing for me to believe that you've not heard of Mercedes Lackey. And she is releasing Briarheart this week. This is a feminist retelling of Sleeping Beauty. And we here on the podcast love a good retelling, especially with a feminist bent. So this is about a princess who is destined for greatness, and her sister, who's kind of in her shadow and willing to do whatever she needs to in order to keep her sister safe. I cannot tell you all the ways that this kind of harkens back to Sleeping Beauty because I haven't read it yet, but I do really want to. And again, that is Briarheart by Mercedes Lackey. Keeping up with the kind of retelling theme, especially Sleeping Beauty, I'm very excited about this next one. This is a small book. It looks to be like novella length, and I don't usually mention those, but I was really intrigued by the synopsis of this. So this is A Spindle Splintered by Alex E. Harrow. And Harrow wrote um, last year The Once and Future Witches, which was really, really well done and has gotten so much positive buzz. But this is like an interdimensional retelling of Sleeping Beauty, where instead of going to sleep for a 100 years, the princess kind of falls through a series of worlds where she meets other versions of herself, like other ways in which that Sleeping Beauty story could have played out. So I'm really eager to see how this is done. Um, Harrow, I think, is taking some really cool risks here and like giving a totally fresh spin to the old Sleeping Beauty story. So this is A Spindle Splintered by Alex E. Harrow. Then we have a book that I'm pretty sure Amber will be excited about. This is Vesper Time. Vesper Time, book one by Margaret Rogerson. Rogerson wrote An Enchantment of Ravens a couple of years ago and Sorcery of Thorns. So now she's writing a series. And in the first book, we meet a young girl who has been tasked with defending her, her city from the restless spirits of the dead. So this is Vesper Time, and it is by Margaret Rogerson. All right, so moving away from fantasy here, um, I have a couple of other things. So 
we have a mystery coming out by J. Allison Heller. This is The Neighbor's Secret. And it looks like it's going to be one of those really like kind of soapy like neighborhood dramas where everyone is hiding secrets and you don't know who to trust. I'm really excited about this. I'm on hold for it at my local library. The hold list is a little long, so I don't know when I'll get to it. But it is The Neighbor's Secret by J. Allison Heller. We then have The Last Guest by Tess Little. This is set in the California like high country and it is about this dinner party which ends with the host dead and all of the guests under suspicion. So not a great situation. This is The Last Guest by Tess Little. We have The Survivors by Alex Shulman. This is the story of three brothers who return to the site of a family tragedy that none of them have dealt with. Apparently, whatever this was happened years ago and something has drawn them home. Um, this looks to be set in Sweden and I don't read a lot of books set in Scandinavian countries, so I am excited to see how this will go. It is The Survivors by Alex Shulman. And lastly, I have we Are Not Like Them by Joe Piazza and Christine Pride. And this is the story of the relationship between two women, one black and one white, and how their friendship, on the small scale, their friendship is changed, but also their lives as a whole are changed by something very bad that happens to them. And it causes both women to do some pretty serious self-examination and helps them come to a deeper, if not necessarily like brighter understanding of the world around them. So this is We Are Not Like Them by Joe Piazza and Christine Pride. And that, my friends, wraps it up for today. So like I said, not, not a huge number of books, but really powerful things that I'm so excited to get my hands on. Um, some of them do have rather long hold lists at my library, so we'll see how long I can um, hold out before I just go ahead and, and own them. Um, but I do try to, you know, be patient and use my library at least some of the time. I hope all of you are staying safe and well, enjoying the beginning of fall, at least in my part of the world. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.